Welcome to the Stony Plain Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community that is about discovering fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together. This message is a part of our series, What on Earth is Jesus Doing?, where we are exploring the significance of the ascension of Jesus and the sending of the Spirit at Pentecost. Morning, everyone. We're starting a new series today. Over the next three weeks, we want to answer the question, what on earth is Jesus doing today? I mean, haven't you asked yourself that question over this particular time period? God, what are you doing in this world? Well, if you've been asking that question, we hope to answer it over the next three weeks. We're, we're going to look at two key events from Jesus' life over the next three events that are, I, th- I think are of utmost importance to us. These two are the ascension of Jesus and Pentecost. It's hard to say what one aspect of Jesus' ministry is more important than the other, but I think the events that follow Jesus' resurrection are often the most neglected. Most of the other doctrines of Jesus point us back to his birth, his death, his resurrection, the big three. And then you have his life and his teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. The Gospels are packed with great stuff. But the Ascension and Pentecost actually help us understand the current activity of Jesus. It's like his most current status update on social media. On the church calendar, Ascension Day is 40 days after Easter, which means that it's happening this Thursday. So happy Ascension Day, everybody. I mean, aren't you just sick of Ascension Day greetings and cards and gifts and music in the shopping malls? I mean, Ascension Day is just, uh, it drives you crazy. Actually, you probably have never really thought about it. How many of you have actually heard a sermon on Ascension Day? I see that hand, Matt Kenneberg. He's the only one in the room that raised his hand. In his book, Practicing the Resurrection, Eugene Peterson notes, Ascension is the opening scene that establishes the context for everything that follows. If, if we're not aware of ascension, it, it, means like, it means like we're jumping into, the, into a book right in, the, right in the middle. All sorts of good things could be happening, bad things could be happening, but, but we don't know what's going on. We don't know what the plot is. We don't know what the purpose is. And I suspect many of us have been dumped into this COVID crisis and wondered, Jesus, what on earth are you doing these days? Luke tells us in Acts that the ascension occurs after the resurrection of of Jesus, and it takes place 40 days afterwards. So let's look at Luke's account to begin with, and we're going to look at some other texts along the way. Chris and Michelle Bass are going to read from Luke chapter 24, verses 50 to 53, and Acts 1, 6 to 11. So hear the word of the Lord as they read. Luke 24, 50 to 53. Jesus led his disciples out to Bethany, where he raised his hands and blessed them. As he was doing this, he was left and was taken up to heaven. After his disciples had worshipped him, they returned to Jerusalem and were very happy. They spent their time in the temple praising God. And from Acts 1, 6 to 11. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, 
who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So the word of the Lord. So what on earth is Jesus doing? First, the ascension means that Jesus is actively reigning over heaven and earth. Hebrews chapter 1, 3 says, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Normally when we think of the ascension, we think that Jesus went to another place. He, he left earth and he went to a throne that's in heaven and he's now removed from earth. Um, it, it, we sort of look at it like Jesus moved up to the, to the penthouse suite of the world and he's sitting on a throne up there somewhere. Rather, however, we need to think in terms not of Jesus going to another place, but rather Jesus going to another realm. Heaven isn't another place in biblical teaching, but another realm. It's not somewhere a million miles away. Jesus is in another realm altogether. Perhaps more importantly, Jesus' ascension means that his relationship with the world has actually changed. If you were to somehow break into a palace and sit down on a throne, does that make you a king or a queen? Absolutely not. Uh, just because you sit down on the actual throne of England doesn't make you the king or the queen. Ascending to a throne, sitting down at the, on the throne means that, that you become the ruler of that country and your relationship with others changes. If you've watched the show The Crown on, on Netflix, based on the true story of Queen Elizabeth and the royal family, the young Elizabeth ascends to the throne of England at the age of 26 after her father, King George, passes. She does this dutifully but reluctantly because she knows that her relationships will change. The show helps us, understands, helps us to understand why this was so painful for her and for everyone else around her because her own siblings and even her husband and children had to recognize her as queen. They, they were now first and foremost her subjects. After her coronation, she was no longer a sister, child, cousin, friend, or wife, but your majesty. Her ascension to the throne means that her relationship with everyone else had changed. Now take a break from Tiger King and, and watch The Crown. I think you'll actually enjoy it. And at the ascension of Jesus, his relationship with the world changed. He descended from heaven and he became a servant. It's the story of Jesus. He, he was despised. He was rejected by people. He was beaten. He was tortured. He died like a common criminal. And he entered utter forsakenness. He descended as far into human brokenness as possible. But now, through his ascension, he's become Lord over all things. His relationship has changed. So Ephesians says that he, that's God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that's invoked, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And because he reigns above all things, it means that he's at the center of all these things. He's active in all things. He's ruling over all things. Some Christians have wrongly assumed that God has abandoned the world during this COVID crisis. They say that because we've rejected God and pushed him to the outside of our lives by maybe by our own sinfulness or selfishness or busyness, that, that God is currently on the margins. He's abandoned the world. He's outside of our situation. He's outside of our country. He's outside of our marriages. He's outside of our church. And I, and I want to say to you, not a chance. The ascension of Jesus to the throne means that he's not outside of this, but he's right in the magnificent center of the mess that we find ourselves in. 
And when I look at the mess that I see most days, I have to wonder to myself, Jesus, you have an awful lot of work to do here. This world is a mess. It's a suffering place. If you are Lord, can't you do something about the mess that we've made? Come on, Jesus, get on with it. But we know that Jesus is a different kind of Lord who leads with sacrificial love rather than with brute power. He would never force himself on any person or any situation. He's the, he's the servant king, the one who sacrifices for our sake, the one who wins the world over with love. He invites us to receive him as Lord. And that means he would never force anyone to submit to him. He'd never do that. He wo who wo woos us and wins us with his love. What is, he, what is it that Jesus is doing right now? He's in the middle of the mess, calling us, pleading with us, wooing us to surrender to his lordship of love. And as active apprentices of Jesus, it means that we're willing to surrender to Jesus as Lord. Ephesians tells us that he's head over all things for the church. He's not just, he's not just a figurehead. He's actually the functional head. He's not like some great historic figure that we look back on and say, wow, that was a great leader. We need to emulate him. We need to listen to him. We need to follow his way of teaching. He's not like, you know, a, a Nelson Mandela or a Winston Churchill or Abraham Lincoln. The, the ascension of Jesus means that he's actually living Lord and he's actually now the functional head of the church. He functionally leads the church. That's good news for me as a pastor because it means that I'm not ultimately in charge. Jesus has assigned me to, to do certain duties, but I'm not ultimately in charge. He is. My job is to listen to him. And as a follower of Jesus, as an apprentice of Christ, he's not just your figurehead. He's the functional head of your life. And to be an apprentice of Jesus means that we actually submit our wills to his will. As an apprentice of Jesus, your job is to seek his will in every facet of your life, to ask him for directions. Your job is to wake up every day and submit your will to his will. Our job is to learn to obey his teaching. I believe that Jesus has a brilliant plan for all of us in the midst of this difficult time. I believe that he's working in all things and through all things and behind all things, in the midst of all things, to fulfill and accomplish his brilliant purposes for our lives and for our church. The coronavirus and the restrictions that we live with cannot squash the glorious plan that Jesus is working out these days for the church and for each one of our lives. Obstacles are opportunities for Jesus. Jesus is right in the middle of the mess and he's ruling over all things. Our job is to submit to him, to surrender to his lordship, right in the middle of this stuff. Will you come under the loving rule of Jesus? And then secondly, the ascension means that Jesus brings heaven and earth together for us. So he's reigning over heaven and earth, actively as Lord, but he also unites, he brings heaven and earth together for this. Think of this, when Jesus sits down at the right hand of the Father, human flesh, one, as scripture des describes him, is one born of a woman, someone like us, in the presence of God. So that, that means that the ascension of Jesus to the throne is the ascension of humanity to the throne. We'll talk more about that next week. Barbara Brown Taylor puts it this way, by ascending bodily into heaven, he showed us that flesh and blood are good, not bad. That they're good enough for Jesus, good enough for heaven, good enough for God. By putting them on and keeping them on, Jesus has not only brought God to us, he's also brought us to God. Jesus brings heaven and earth together for us. What does that mean? Well, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 16 and 14 and 16 say, 
Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold firmly to the faith we profess. Let's then approach God's throne with grace, throne of grace, rather, with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. At any moment in time, you can access God's mercy and grace in your time of need. You are never, at any moment, far away from God. You are as close to the throne room of heaven as a prayer on your lips. May our need on earth drive us even closer to the throne room of heaven. He brings us right into the presence of the Father as our high priest. But John chapter 16, verse 17 says something also significant about the ascension. Jesus says to his disciples, but very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Because of the ascension, Jesus is able to send the Holy Spirit to indwell our lives. He brings the presence and the power of God directly to us. If the ascension hadn't happened, we'd all have to go to Galilee to see Jesus. But because of the ascension, we have direct access to the heavenly throne room. And God has direct access to us through the indwelling spirit. What is Jesus doing these days? He's bringing heaven and earth together for us. In Jesus, we have access to the presence and the power of God. It means that in these days, we're not alone. Even though we might feel isolated or quarantined, it means that we have access to God. Even, even though the doors of our churches are locked in Canada, Jesus is making God available to each one of us. The ascension of Jesus means that nothing can stop him from being at the center of all things, working out his brilliant plan. Nothing can stop us from having access to God because he brings heaven and earth together for us. And then finally, the ascension means that Jesus is moving history toward a new heaven and a new, new earth. Jesus is moving history toward a final culmination. Most world religions view history as cyclical. Christianity, however, views History is linear, progressing toward a final culmination. Now, now, secularists have hijacked this vision of the world, and they would say that the world's becoming a better place through the efforts of humanity, and as humans grow smarter and stronger and better, that will solve the problems of the world, and it will gradually evolve to a place where there are less problems, less disease, less of what ails us, more happiness, more freedom, more life for everyone. But this coronavirus thing really challenges that theory. In fact, down through history, secular humanism has taken a beating during moments like this in world wars and depressions and pandemics, particularly in the first half of the 20th century where we saw World War I and the Spanish flu and the Great Depression and World War II, all, all within a very short period of time. But in the last 70 years, secular humanism has kind of seen a bit of a revival in our world and people have begun to see themselves now as sort of the the masters of our own fate and our own destiny, and we're building this great, wonderful enterprise, this world that continues to get better and better and bigger and bigger all the time. But when a pandemic like this hits, that, that's really challenged. And the reality is, is the world isn't getting better. All you have to do is look outside of our Western bubble to realize that the, the rest of the world doesn't see life this way. Those who live in the barrios of South America, the slums of Cambodia, or the locust-plagued plains of Africa, don't perceive that we're making a lot of progress. The only ones who think this way are those who have shut themselves off from the reality that this world is a suffering and dying place. 
But here's the good news in the face of this COVID crisis and all the suffering that the world faces. Jesus is moving history toward a final culmination where all things will be made new. In Acts chapter 1, the angels say to the disciples who are staring up at the sky at the ascension, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. The ascension signals the return of Jesus for us. And at the return of Jesus, all things are made new. The Old Testament prophets seem to tell us that the earth and the heavens will be made new. God will renovate the whole thing, a kind of like global rehab project. Everything that's futile and evil and painful, even death itself, will be done away with. And the heavens earth and earth will be remade. In Revelation chapter 21, the apostle John has a vision of that day. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he'll dwell with them. They'll be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. See, apprentices of Jesus live with the understanding that history will culminate when Jesus returns and everything will be made new. History is marching on toward this day of culmination that some have called the recapitulation of the cosmos. Everything is being made new for us. What on earth is Jesus doing? He's reigning over the mess as our Lord of love, calling us to surrender to him. He's bringing heaven and earth together for us as we walk through this mess. He's bringing it together for us so that we can have access to the throne of grace to help us in our time of need, to help us in this time of, of struggle. His power, his presence made available to us right in the middle of the mess. And then we know that this isn't just some cycle that we're in, some historical cycle that we're in, going around and around and around without purpose. But rather, Jesus is moving history toward its final culmination, where all suffering and sickness and evil and death will be destroyed, and the world will be made new. So what do we do? I want to, I want to invite you to, to take advantage of the availability of God's presence and power in the midst of the mess. Jesus has made, has made it possible through his ascension for us to enter right into the throne room of heaven. So I want to invite you to pray this week. Just ask God the Father to make the ascended Christ abundantly clear to you. Ask him to reveal Christ to you in new and fresh ways. Ask him to, get, to fill your heart with hope and with confidence, with strength, rather than things like fear and anxiety and futility. Ask him to reveal Christ to you as you enter into the throne room. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. So God, we give you thanks for your amazing grace today in Christ. Thank you for the ascension. Thank you that Jesus is reigning over all things as our high priest, as our king. Thank you for um, the fact that we don't live in a futile world. And so I pray, Jesus, this week that you would continue to reveal yourself to us as the Ascended One. We pray in your name. Amen. So in response to our message, 
we're going to celebrate communion together. If you have your elements at home, I want to invite you to uh, get them ready. Uh, I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And then verse 26. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as we come to the communion table, I want to invite you to come and recognize the presence of Jesus in our lives in the midst of all these things. His body signified by the bread, his blood signified by the cup, and his death on our part, on our behalf, Jesus taking our sin on the cross, on himself, his body being broken for us, and his blood being shed for the forgiveness of sin. And as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, when we do this, we remember the Lord's death until he comes. And so even as we partake, we look forward to that great day that we talked about earlier in the message. We look forward to the return of Jesus when all things will be made new. And so I want to invite you to take the bread and to recognize that this, Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take it, eat it in remembrance of me. So let's eat together. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's drink together in remembrance of Jesus. I want to invite you to take a moment here just to give thanks to God in prayer. I invite you in the quietness of your own home, maybe in the quietness of your home, own heart. Perhaps you want to pray together as couples, as families, whatever your situation is, if you're in a small group. Just take a moment to, to thank God, to give thanks to him for the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go in peace. Amen. Thank you for tuning into our podcast today. To discover more about Stony Plain Alliance Church and its ministries, visit our website at spaconline.com. Grace and peace.